Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. How's everyone doing? You guys having a good week so far? Good. Well, we are in Revelation chapter 7. It's a short chapter, and it's interesting because last week, chapter 6, we started taking off those seals. There were the scroll with the seven seals, and we went through six of those seals, and we really talked about how humanity has really plagued the world with war, with uh, famine, and all the things that has been done by men to oppress humanity. And, and now there's this pause as we get into chapter 7. We're finishing the sixth seal and we're waiting for the seventh seal, but it doesn't happen. And so now we are left wondering what's going to happen. And there's this intentional suspense that John is putting here. You're waiting for the seventh seal. You're waiting for that shoe to drop, so to speak. But now there's an interruption. Remember that a seal was used to prevent a document from being open. It was a wax seal that was melted, wax, and then put on a document and then pressed with some kind of signet ring or something that represented whoever the seal was coming from or the document was coming from. And so you could see if the wax had been broken, that the document had been open, but you also were able to see where this document was from because of whose seal was stamped on it. The image of the impression told us the person who was sending it. And so as John is breaking the momentum of opening seals and leaves us with a question in chapter 6, the last question that he left us with was, for the great day of the, their wrath has come, who can withstand it? Right? All these evils that have been done to humanity, God is going to bring about a wrath. Who can withstand it? And he leaves us with that question, and we get an answer to that question in chapter 7 before we go to the seventh seal. And so let's start with verses 1 through 8. 
After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. Now, after this breaking of seals and this devastation that has been flung on humanity by humanity, the created order, the earth itself, is needing to be purified. And it seems in this case by a violent wind that will scorch the earth, that will stir up the sea, that will uproot the trees. And like other symbols of divine judgment, these images from the natural world are to be taken, I believe, symbolically. I believe in terms of the great shaking that is going to take place. We talked about that previously with the earthquake shaking, how there has to be just an unsettling of how things are so that God can begin doing something new. I believe that this is going to be taking place. The whole world of human affairs, as God's judgments starts to take hold, God is shaking things up. He is changing things. Remember in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. Things are no longer good. There is disorder now. There is the death. There is the famine. There is the, the things that have been plaguing humanity, and the earth is now in revolt to these things. In chapter 6, we saw that seals were being opened one after another, but here we see that there are seals being given on the forehead of the servants of God. And just as those seals represented something that was locked and was given by God, we see the seals given are showing, again, ownership by God. So the document, the scroll that came from God and the seals that were being opened, now we see that there is a seal on the servants of God. And it's important to recognize that this is something that is an important part of an identification. Just as that scroll was identified by the seal, we are identified by this seal. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, Paul says, Now it is God who makes us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, 
set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Remember the question that was asked in chapter 6, who can withstand all that is going to be happening? Well, the answer is given, those who are sealed. They are going to withstand all that is taking place, all the harm that is being inflicted, all the judgment that is about to come. The ones who can withstand it are those who are sealed, the servants of God. Paul also said in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those whose God's possession to the praise of his glory. This idea of sealing, this is an idea that you belong to God, you are imprinted with his seal on your life. And who is going to be able to withstand the wrath that is to come? Those who are sealed, those who are God's servants, those who belong to him. The 144,000 then that goes on and is listed Right, We have to name all these things. Are these actually Jews or is it symbolic? The list of the 12 tribes is a little bit unusual compared to the records that we have in Genesis 49 and in Deuteronomy 33. And some of them we can kind of explain where it talks about Judah being promoted rather than Reuben. Reuben, who was firstborn, would normally be listed. Well, Judah is listed first because of the lion of the tribe of Judah. We see that Christ is now having a preeminence in this lineage. But there are some other things that are a little bit problematic in this area. Um, there is the omission of Dan. Why is Dan not in the tribes? And there, we have to guess. We don't have a for sure answer in some early Jewish traditions, they believed, for what reason I don't know, that the tribe of Dan was actually going to be uh, hostile against the Messiah or anti-Messiah or what we would call anti-Christ. And so it might be that because they had this speaking about the tribe of Dan in this negative way that it was left out. And then also... It's hard to explain why is Manasseh, one of Joseph's children, included in the list when he's not one of the 12 tribes? Well, it could be, well, since Dan's not there, Manasseh is filling this place, and John is simply wanting to make up the 12 after it is dropped. But what we're getting here is the nation or the whole of God's promise to Israel is being presented. It's the idea of completion. Remember, we saw the 24 elders at the beginning where it represented the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. It is this number of completion. And we're going to get to the answer of whether they are the actual 
Israelites or not in the next verse. If you're like me, you grew up hearing that these 144,000 were actual Israelites because in Romans it says that God is not done with Israel. And so this is going to be the fulfillment where God uses these zealots uh, for Israel to continue his work. I don't think that's true. I, I disagree with that interpretation. I don't believe that Paul, when he's talking about God is not done with Israel in Romans, is talking about the ethnicity or not done with Israel. I don't think he's talking about the ethnicity. I think he's saying that God is not done with Israel as far as they're able to be a symbol of what God has done. Remember, we are grafted in because God gave the promise to them, and we look to them still to see what God has done and how it shows up in what God is doing. But there is no more Jew or Greek bond or free. We are one in Christ. And so there is not this ethnicity or this special place of a certain people, I believe, in the future. I believe he is putting us to be under the image of Christ, and I think the 144,000 we're going to see represents all the servants of God, the completion of what God's intention was in Israel. I have a hard time when I hear pastors speaking about uh, the nation of Israel in this way that, you know, if you're not for Israel, then you're not for God, because God wasn't always for Israel. There were times where God would send Israel into exile, and God would punish. God is for justice. And if Israel is being unjust, do we have to support them? If Israel is being just, then we should support them. But it's not the nation we support. It's the God of justice who is behind what justice is. And so it's kind of a misnomer, I believe, to just place Israel on this pedestal and say, oh, we have to support Israel just blindly. We don't. We have to support justice. If Israel were, and I'm not saying they are, if Israel were to start doing things that were inhumane, I'm not going to support that. God doesn't support that. We shouldn't support that. Christ wouldn't support that. When Israel did things that were profane, God didn't support that. We shouldn't support that. And so having this idealistic image of Israel can be problematic. And when you hold that here in this portion, I think we have more problems. In verse 9 we see, I believe, the answer. After this, I looked, and behold, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the Lamb. So it's real interesting because there's this poetic building taking place. He hears 144,000. He sees a great multitude that no one can count. Sound is rhythmed with sight. I heard, I saw. Remember the lion of the tribe of Judah, I heard, and then I saw the lamb that had been slain. 
And so there is this contrast that is taking place. One is symbolic, the completion of what God's intention was for Israel, the 12 tribes, and all of them are represented completely. And then I saw a multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out loud in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels are standing standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Again, powerful words as we see this multitude that no one can count before the throne and before the Lamb and and the, the living creatures and the elders, everyone giving this incredible, exuberant and lifting praise to God that his wisdom, his honor, his power, his strength will be forever. Remember our context. Who is John writing to? He's writing to churches in Turkey and throughout the region that are about to go through intense persecution. But what we're seeing here is this 144,000 is now seen in a much larger group. It is the completion of the Israel promise. And it is every tribe, every nation. And this echoes what Paul wrote throughout Romans. Right? God is not judging us based on our seasons and all these things. It's who is true Israel. Those who are in line with the Messiah, that is true Israel, not those who were born of a certain bloodline. And here all these people represent this 144,000. It is the culmination of what God's intention was. I had a coworker who used to walk in his sleep. He used to have these like dreams and he would get up in the middle of the night. Now we didn't know this until we went on a trip together and all of a sudden we found out that, you know, this guy has some dreams. And I remember sitting, I was laying in bed. I was not quite asleep or may have been asleep. I don't remember. But then all of a sudden, He jumps up out of his bed and he's standing in the middle of this room, right, with about eight guys. And he's all, rah, rah. And we're all like, man, Angelo, you okay, buddy? Everything okay? And he's, rah, rah. And we're like, what's going on? And finally, he like snaps out of it. He goes, hey, man, what's happening? What are you doing? And he's like totally unaware what's going on. You could see that it takes him a while to get his bearings. And he's like, what's going on? Like, you're standing up karate chopping the air, man. I don't know what's going on. You're kind of freaking me out. And he says, oh, oh, yeah, no, it's okay. I, I do that sometimes. <laughs> Been nice to let us know before you just started doing that. And he would wake up kind of perplexed and also sometimes terrified. I don't know who he is fighting in his, she- his sleep, but he was definitely karate chopping somebody, right? And so sometimes he'd wake up and he'd be relieved because, all right, I'm, I'm not fighting a dragon or whatever, but sometimes he'd wake up and be a little scared, like, where am I? In fact, 
later on that day, outside the door of the cabin, there was kind of these rocks that went down a little hill that was pretty steep. And so at night, he started putting all these chairs to barricade because he was worried he might go out the door and actually walk down this steep thing. And we were on an island in Canada, so it could have... Where did Angelo go? Didn't see him again, right? So there's the idea of waking up to this terrifying idea that where am I and what's going on? And John is sending this book to small churches throughout the region who are about to face a real nightmare of persecution that is real, that is going to be intense, that is going to cost many of them their lives, their livelihood, their security, their safety, their families. And they have to be ready for it. And what he is offering them here is part of his continuing vision. And it's a vision not of nice dreams, everything's working out all right, but of heavenly realities, which are true, which are absolute, which are real, against the nightmare that they're going to have to be measuring. That nightmare of the the dragon that he's fighting has to be woken up and the reality of where they're at has to be understood. The reality is that the creator God and the lamb have already won the victory. The victory which means that those who follow after them are rescued from ultimate harm. It doesn't mean that they won't go through the difficulty, through the persecution, through the heartache that will come. The reality is that the people who claim the Lamb's protection may well have to go through intense suffering, and they did. But they will then find themselves in the true reality before the throne where there's incredible praise taking place in God's throne room worshiping and serving him day and night with this abundant joy. The word salvation that's used there in verse 10 literally means rescue. There is a move from the horrors and evils that are taking place to a rescuing of the praise and singing that is really taking place. And we see this theme throughout Scripture, right? David is fleeing from Saul and he's writing songs to the Lord in the middle of the persecution that he was going through, he was lifting up praises to God. We see Paul and Silas imprisoned, and they are singing. And then an angel opens the prison doors. We see this song that has come out throughout history. Whenever there is a time of persecution, you know, the old Negro spirituals, as they're called, are these incredible thematic songs that talk about deliverance that is anchored to a hope that is not the reality that they're living in and they're not accepting the reality. They are pushing forward to the hope that is in the future. 
And in these times of heartache and hardship, there is a song that is born. And the people of God, an amazing transformation takes place in those who are sealed, those who are marked, those who are the servants of God. In verse 13, it goes on, Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they, and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their clothes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. I love that. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. The point of this chapter between the sixth and seventh seal is to acknowledge that even though evil is allowed to come and run this full course, it will eventually be fully and finally Overthrown, that God will not allow this process to put in jeopardy the ultimate rescue of his people, that they are not forgotten, that they will not be left abandoned forever, that there is a crown waiting for them, that those who endure to the end will be saved, will be rescued will have this promise. Evil is never minimized. It's never said, it's not that bad, it's, it'll pass. No, it is bad. It's never minimized throughout Scripture, but it's put in its place, right? It's bracketed between Christ and the cries of his people and the justice of God. It, it takes place but it is surrounded. And there is a detailed listing of the evils that would take place. We saw in chapter 6, and the courageous standing up against evil by the people of God. But there's never an explanation of why is there evil in the world. Scripture doesn't say, why is there evil? Why is there injustice in the world? It kind of assumes that we know. I think we do. I think we know it's because of us, right? Why is there evil? Well, because we do evil things sometimes. And we're subject to the choices we make. But it doesn't have the last word. God is still working and moving. And through even the evils that we do is going to bring us through with hope and promise and ultimately with singing. It's so interesting, some of the things that are used, the symbolism, where it says in verse 17, the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. How can the lamb be a shepherd? Right? No, a lamb needs a shepherd, not this lamb. And once again, we see the power of illustration. 
the idea of a lamb being so vulnerable, a lamb being slain, Christ being so powerful, yet laying down all that power. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What did he do? He said, go. Wait, you have all power and authority. That's right. Take my example and go. If I have the power and authority, let me shepherd you by how I lived. He lived as a lamb. And so this is the example. Evil is not explained, but it's surrounded. And surrounded with the promise of God not to forget, but even more so to overcome so that those who have suffered will be able to sing, will be able to praise, that their tears will be wiped away. How? By what? By the Lamb who will shepherd us. It's an interesting thing to see people who go through intense persecution and see them come out with incredible love and mercy and grace. And we've all seen stories of people who've been victims of some terrible crime who then, when the perpetrator is imprisoned, go and show mercy to that perpetrator and show kindness and grace and love to that person and the person is like whoa this is just unreal no that is real you see that's the reality that is there that's stronger than the nightmare of the world and all the destruction that is taking place it is stronger than whatever the world can throw at you john is saying there is substance here. You need to tap hold of it. Because you are about to go through intense persecution. If you don't have this understanding, you belong to God, and this is the reality you live in, you will not have the strength to go through it. And, and I wonder why it is so many of us, especially in affluence, we are so distanced from the reality because we don't go through the persecution. We don't go through the trouble. We don't know the heartache. We don't grow through those things. And it's necessary. We, we're not surrounded because we try to exclude ourselves from anything that will be difficult. And we miss out on all the blessings that are there. How many things would we engage ourselves in that would cause us comfort or take away our comfort but would lead us to a closer place where god is working if god is with the refugees then shouldn't we go with them if god is with the people who are at the hospital or the orphans shouldn't we go to them if god is with the elderly and those people who are struggling shouldn't we go and be with them but if i do that I won't be able to enjoy my whatever it is, right? And I'm not saying that our vacations and our comforts are bad. What I'm saying is if we try to 
insulate ourselves from the harm and the difficulties that are there in the world, we are, in a sense, insulating ourselves from God who is there with the people struggling in those ways. And because we don't want to be touched by that infliction, we find that we're not being touched by God in so many ways. Because we're trying to keep clear from anything that causes difficulty. And we don't realize that what we're doing is putting distance even between ourselves and God by not willing to step into the pain of others because God is telling us, even through this chapter, that not only is is he there, but that there is where praise is being born. That's where worship is growing and taking place. And that's what we want to see happen in our lives, no matter what we go through. And so John is preparing the church for what evils will come to help them see that you can get through this. Why? You're sealed. You belong to him, you who are servants of God. You will be singing before the throne, and the lamb will be your shepherd. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture to see that. Any thoughts or questions from this chapter? No? Man, who would thought there would be so few questions in the book of Revelation? <laughs> Again, I, I think this interpretation, especially of the 144,000, is consistent with the book and is consistent with Scripture. It's it's taking away some of that dramatic element that maybe we've heard in the past, um, but I think it's actually contextually just flows with what's happening, right? Especially what we've heard. I, I you know I heard the lion, the tribe of Judah. I saw the lamb that was slain. I heard one hundred forty-four thousand, twelve thousand tribe. I saw a multitude. All these things are very rhythmic, very poetic, and we we don't have the language here, so we maybe aren't familiar with some of that poetic uh, bantering back and forth that's taking place, but it's happening. Well, let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for this chapter, and Lord, may we learn from these things the importance of staying firm in the persecution and tribulation. And Lord, that means so much less, I think, to us today where we live, and thankfully so. But Lord, there are still so many who are suffering, who are being persecuted, who are going through intense tribulation. Some for your name's sake, some just because of the evils of humanity, the power struggles that take place. God, may we never forget those who are in need and are hurting because, Lord, your heart is there and you're writing to them and you're writing to us and we are part of this same humanity. And, Lord, help us to bridge these gaps between what is enjoyed and comfortable and safe and what is harsh and unfair and difficult. Lord.
may we be justice to those who cannot find it themselves. And I do pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.